Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordics tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I'm Alex Robinson from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Rose Ryberg, Director of Sales and Operations Strategy at Inspari, Casper Lynn, Head of Expert at Carlsberg, Charles Wagbo, Manager at Net Company, and Timothy Kapustin, VR Platform Owner at Devil Team, to discuss unlocking data success. Before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are and what you do, what your biggest passion is currently. Um, so, Rosa, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, definitely. So um, I work as a, as a director in Inspire, a data consultant firm, and uh, I've been in the business for almost 15 years, uh, really uh, seen and uh, developed a lot of uh, technical solutions. And therefore, my passion is also how all of these uh, technologies are affecting people. Um, and that is, uh, that is my primarily uh, interest uh, these days. So how do we how do we actually enable people to work with technologies and work with data, work with tools, and how do we also uh, enable our consumers uh, in organizations to actually uh, be able to uh, work with data and also create value with data? Okay, great. Thank you very much for that. Um, handing over to you, Charles. Yes, uh, my name is Charles. I hope you can hear me now, right? Good. My name is Charles Wagbo. I've been in IT now for close to uh, 20 years. At the moment, I'm with um, a net company. And um, the reason I would say what drives me within IT is how to do digital transformations and how can we actually um, um, utilize data uh, for digital for digital transformations. Um, I mean, not being just in IT, I've been within the um, FinSec or the financial segment, you know, financial IT for about 16 years. And I could see that the red thread along all these is data, data, data. And I can feel like, uh, you know, having these discussions and coming to forums like this will also give me an insight into maybe the new things that we can get out of data and how we can, you know, kind of consume this into big, digital transformations that I am, you know, that I've been working on. Thank you. Great. Thank you for that, Charles. Handing over to you, Casper. Hello, guys. Um, my name is Casper. I'm head of XPRU at Carlsberg Research Laboratory. Just a bit of background on XPRU. That is an innovation tool that we have developed at Digital One to gather consumer feedback on our experiments conducted or done at the research laboratory. I guess I've always been passionate about uh, translating um, or building new businesses, translating uh, science into business uh, opportunities. And Expo is, uh, is a perfect match for me, uh, driving that forward, going from uh, small scale startup-like type in, <clears throat> internally in Karlsberg and then building it to the scale that it is at now. Thank you very much for that, Casper. Handing over to you, Timothy. Hi, everyone. My name is Timothy. Um, I'm the BI platform owner in Devo Team. Um, I think my passion when it comes to data is to um, first allow people to make their own analysis and understand how data can be used 
for what purposes and what value it can bring. Um, and then also just try to understand what value does it really bring because there is a lot of uh, buzzwords, a lot of concepts which are out there, but maybe not fully uh, utilized, you know, for 100%. Uh, so yeah, to do that and figure out what is the value uh, so as to focus on the right things uh, when you do data projects. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Timothy. So now that we've established a bit of context to each of you, let's move on to the topic at hand. You all have a question or a statement around the theme of unlocking data success. So as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reason behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's start with you, Rose. Do you want to pose your question and tell us where it came from? Yeah, definitely. So so my question to uh, to to you guys is, uh, when uh, talking about becoming data-driven, what does this mean to you? Uh, what are the challenges? And also, what are the benefits? And then in the end, what capabilities do you need uh, to make this happen, being data-driven? And I think that um, the reason why I uh, ask this question also refer back to what Timothy said about that there are so many buzzwords. Uh, and what I hear a lot is that also a lot of organizations are uh, striving to become data-driven. But what I also see is that there are some challenges that uh, you as an organization need to overcome in order for to fully become uh, or be uh, viewed as a, a data-driven organization. Okay, very interesting question. So um, I'll hand over to Charles there. Yes, um, I mean, coming back to that, Rose, so is, um, you know, what, by what I understand as being data-driven is uh, a business that is actually looking at um, that is more looking into feedback, you know, into the data than looking into the old times when CEOs sit in the boardrooms and make, you know, strategic decisions. In the old times, you know, many years ago, <laughs> I'm an old man, <laughs> the CIO sits down, This, you know, they have these good meetings with the CFO and, and the CEO, and they start looking at strategy, you know, this, you know, the strategy set by the CEO, the CFO looks into, the, you know, the fundamentals about the financials of meeting that strategy, and the CIO more or less looks into, okay, do we got, have we got the technical capabilities to, to kind of carry that strategy but but it has changed now it is when you are data driven it's not just these gentlemen or women sitting down and making these decisions it's coming the input is coming outside so there's someone who kind of consumes this data come back to them and say look from what we've got now from the data that we see from this this is a trajectory 
these are the trends, these are the ways. Of course, the CEO still has this, you know, still has the flexibility. He can say, okay, guys, scrap this data, we're going this way. And then he has to build the capabilities to go that way. But in this new school we are having now is that the other way around is strategy coming first before data. But now in this new way, the data comes in first and you use the data to actually maintain or create some form of strategy for your company. That's the way I see it as being data driven. I think I got okay. Casper here. <laughs> yeah, over to you, Casper. Thank you. Um, so I think just building on on, on Charles uh, with the feedback, uh, I think I should probably highlight Casper as a whole is very data driven. Um, but specifically talking about the research laboratory, we have not been very, you know, the science that we do is very data driven and that can be relied on. But this science, the experiments that we conducted with liquid. I guess if you drink a beer, it's an objective matter whether you like it or not. Um, so if we just had a small handful of people tasting the brew, we could say, yes, this is good. That's not being data-driven for us. So that's why we built X-Brew to get data feedback from our consumers saying, is this a good or bad liquid? Um, so for us, I think it's, it's a cultural thing uh, at the research lab, getting our consumers to, to test our experiments try them and then give us feedback so that the brewmaster or scientist knows whether it's a good uh, brew that made. Okay, great. And over to you, Timothy. I think I, I agree with both Charles and Casper. Um, I think it's, you know, it's somehow a democratization. I don't know if it's an inherent uh, thing in data, but it's Somehow it's definitely stepping outside of the, you know, the boardrooms of directors. And also it is definitely about, you know, gathering the impressions or whatever uh, is the measure that you're focusing on. It's just, I mean, it's another way of gathering more information, right? Um, but then, of course, yeah, it's also, okay, so what do you do with it? And uh, I mean, what I see, it's, it's that uh, people need to uh, understand what is data because, you know, um, it can be quite simple, right? It's just some tables, uh, maybe, maybe it's some other type of data. But in the end of the day, I mean, okay, um, it can be quite complex um, to understand it, to interpret it, to explain it. Um, so I think just to be data-driven, you need some type of data literacy. I mean, how do you work with it? Some basic concepts need to fall in place in an organization for people to actually be able to contribute. Yeah, can I can I comment uh, on it as well? So I think that the the when uh, when Casper was uh, talking about how you you set up a, a digital uh, uh, entity uh, within Casper to really focus on it, I, uh, I I I came to think about that uh, it's really about in 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 what priority you see so so what place you see data in in your prioritization. So do you really see data as a strategic asset or do you, do you just see it, see it as something that just supports your operational business? And that is for me like a, 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 a big change in your mindset uh, as an organization. So that is a, that is a very, uh, very, uh, very nice uh, that you just framed it that way, Casper. And then uh, the other point was, I, I really, um, I really think that Becoming data-driven is not something that you solve only with technology. 
And that's really also what is Timofi is touching upon with the data literacy. So you need to uh, teach and upskill people to understand how do you collect data, how do you read data, how do you work with data, how do you analyze data, and how do you communicate data. So training people in working with data and analyzing data, um, everything around data, that is key. Um, and it's not enough just to buy a fancy platform. Yes, and, and yeah, I think my hands were raised. And adding to that, Rosa, is, um, you know, can you hear me, please? Good. And adding to that is like, you see, um, which um, Timothy just said is the capability part of it, you know. Uh, people think like building, like you said, it's not just the technology, but you have to build a capability around it. And that capability is the people and processes around it. You need to train people, you need to have asset, data asset owners. And, and that capability is something that many small companies find a struggle with it a bit. You know, the technology to, to, to collect fat tails or fat data or deep data, whatever data, they are quite... Uh, ubiquitous these days, they're everywhere, you can get them a lot. Of, but I think the challenge is the interpretation and having that capability that can consume this data and spill out some good knowledge. And these capabilities are actually not very easy to get. Um, some good companies have them, maybe some data, heavily data-driven companies like, of course, Meta, Google and all that, they are heavily data-driven. Uh, but when you look at the, the, the SMEs, the small and medium-sized companies, they like this because it's expensive to get these capabilities, getting a BI expert that both having a technical background and not just technical, but a very strong business background that can interpret data. It's not something you get just off the market. It's, I mean, you need experts for this. And until we build a society where these SMEs have this capability, we will not be able to feed the right services to the conglomerates, to the big companies and build economies. So sometimes I think um, we concentrate a lot on big companies that have this money to throw around to be, and we forget the small companies that are actually supporting these big companies, you know. I, and I can tell you something, you could easily see this in the last time of COVID. You know, just after COVID, you see, you could see there was this big blockage we had with supply chain issues. Um, and it's so funny, it all, all had to do with, we had a big blockage with containers all over the world. Containers, we're just bringing them together because the small firms, nobody, the small firms in the factory of the world, China, couldn't really see that coming. But the big firms, they could see it. But, but the small firms who were getting these people, you know, our girlfriends and wives and daughters who were ordering things from China, from the companies, 10, you know, 10 pounds for a thousand. I mean, they kept on ordering. And these are small companies located scattered all over China. And they were kind of collecting these orders, processing these orders. But they ship these orders, it comes to the wharfs or comes to the, um, you know, comes to, um, I mean, to the shoreline. They couldn't be processed. No containers to process this. And that is what I think as a society we should start thinking about. Of if we can find a way where we could solve a kind of, um, kind of push this data-driven ideology 
not just to big companies that know this technology, not people like you consult or you you advise Rosa, because those are, you know, they, they, I mean, they can afford you, they can afford consultants or smart cookies to help them. But we should kind of start thinking about these small, small companies that are actually the backbone of, you know, trade in Europe and trade in Western Europe that supplies these big companies, that they too should be data-driven. And I think personally, I don't know... I think there's a gap there, and I think um, having discussions like this and in which way where those kind of gaps can be closed would really facilitate uh, our local economies. Yeah, and just uh, I think just to add a bit to that, I I 100% agree. It's you know it's obviously easier to to understand and hire the really competent people who know what they're doing and what is the point of it uh, for the large companies um, i think uh, i mean that's a challenge for the smaller and medium ones i think that in the last you know few years it has become really possible for smaller companies to do things as well because i mean you know tools such as power bi it has everything within it and it's potentially almost for free um, so it has become possible for companies to um, allow people to do some analysis of their own. Um, and um, it's, I mean, I think it's a great uh, change uh, that we have seen. And then of course, I mean, what do you get out of it? Um, that's, that's a totally different question. Uh, but I think for SMEs, I mean, there should be some type of, um, you know, guidelines or some courses or maybe even just some you know, standard things that they do uh, regarding data. I don't know, maybe it already exists. Um, but I think the capabilities are growing and also the availability of tools is growing. So the technical part is probably not a limit anymore as such, at least in my experience. And, and I also think that um, when we have a situation where it is so easy to, for example, navigate in, in tools like Power BI. We can, as uh, employees, um, concentrate on the other parts of uh, working with data because um, understanding how to use Power BI, that doesn't, uh, by default, uh, make you create value with data because there are other uh, aspects of working with data so, for example, the whole uh, area of critical thinking, uh, or how do you how do you uh, how do you uh, uh, we can say um, not make uh, the wrong uh, conclusions and stuff like that? Because you you need to understand how data is uh, being populated, and that is not something that you will get by uh, navigating in Power BI functionality. So, but I, I'm pre I agree that we have a very great foundation. We can easily understand these parts, and then we can focus on what we are actually how we are creating value with data. Okay, great. Uh, very valuable insights around that topic. So I suppose with that, we'll move on to our next question. Um, Timothy, why don't you present your question and tell us where it came from? Um, yeah, so my question is, uh, it will be the second question here. Um, how do you measure the value created by data projects or data products? Um, 
I mean, why I'm asking this question is because, um, you know, there are many, uh, many topics. I mean, when you look at the, um, at the products that each of the software providers is giving, you know, there is 1000 different features and possibilities to do everything you want with your data. Um, and um, sometimes I feel that businesses are running a little bit too fast uh, and they just want to do data for the sake of doing data. Um, so, uh, and typically, I mean, the data teams, unless again, you're a super big organization, you don't have that much money to spend on, uh, on you know, developers, um, data visualize people and uh, ex uh, experts like that. So, I mean, in order to prioritize the projects and see like what really is that we should be focusing on, um, that's sort of the, you know, where I'm coming from. And yeah, so just to repeat the question, how do you measure the value created by data products? Over to you, Rosa. I'm uh, answering uh, this question. So I think there are two. Uh, first of all, it's it's a difficult question to uh, to actually answer because um, to me it it really comes down to uh, the measurement part and and there are for me two two ways of looking at uh, at, at data uh, in, in this. So one is the quantitative data. Uh, looking at um, how well are your licenses being uh, used um, and how are your users interacting with your different data products um, in, uh, in how much do they use it, when do they use it, what do they use, uh, and also looking at the, the specific uh, users uh, across departments in the organization, so how well is the is the data and, and products being uh, spread around the organization. Um, and then there is also the qualitative part. And, and I know from experience that um, that is definitely the difficult uh, part. Um, so one thing that you can do is that you can capture success stories around the organization. So actually gather information on uh, user stories where uh, people have a created value, let's say that they've been in a certain situation that they have to take a decision uh, in, in the business and, and then the, uh, so what data did they use, uh, what report did they use and how did they use it and, and having these kind of success stories and spread them around the organization can also um, encourage others to, uh, to use data uh, and create value with data. And then I think that in the end, it comes down to the data culture. So if you look at um, at your data culture and you measure your data culture, then you, then you would be able to set an equal sign between having a mature data culture also means that you will create a value from your data products because then you would have a a culture where people are always taking data and facts into consideration once they are uh, taking decisions. So that was uh, that was my uh, initial uh, thoughts around your great question. Yep, um, I'll jump in as well. Um, I, I probably have a slightly different take uh, on, on your question um, than than Rosa uh, because I think. I understand the way that how do you measure the value that you generate through your your data products um, against just speaking from from Xpro, 
it's, it's quite simple for me to calculate. If there's an experiment that gets good feedback, then I guess maybe it's a success story that we can talk about then. But if they get implemented into our commercial uh, product line, I guess that's a, a data-driven success <clears throat> that, that is quite tangible to measure on. Um, if you look at more of the, the data processes, Power BI or Nielsen or Insights, like there's a huge abundance of those in Carlsberg. Um, a lot of different markets have different ways of processing the, the data. Uh, and I guess that makes it difficult to put a specific value on it, uh, but it's something that we're working to centralize uh, and also share notes about how do you use data in different markets, uh, but also at a group level. Um, yeah, but it's it's a it's a good question. Thank you for posting it. Okay, thank you very much for that, Casper. And anything to add there? Do you think, Charles? No, I was muted. No, 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 not for me. I think, but I wanted to add something you, you which just said about how do we measure, you know, um, um, just something about uh, how do we measure the sources. I think that was basically the whole thing we were talking about, Rosa, right? How do we measure if, our, if the data we collected or how do we measure data, right? Or the, I, I mean, the value, I mean, how do we measure the value created by data, right? Yes, I mean, because um, we are thinking of it like Casper was talking about it from a business perspective, right? Uh, that is how I'm mean, looking at it from a product side of it, you know, and, and, and then if, if you say that you collate, collect, clean up, and then, you know, it helps you to push something into into your pipeline, into into your production pipeline or product pipeline, then that's a good way you say good. But then there is another part of it, which I think what we're talking data sometimes is not just from the product, I mean, perspective, you know, it's not giving products or, of course, that's a basic part of the business. But, but the value when you drive a product, <coughs> Private product, the value what you get from the data can also be intrinsic. That is, can also be consumed by the business to make the business more robust, more risk adverse, more you know, I mean, to, I mean, kind of well-studied. And that is data you can also get from HRO system, you know, or from BI that you kind of get data from, you know, like what we call the thick data, you know, not not deep, you know, not big data, just thick data, the ones fantastic, um, you know, anthropologists and a lot of sociologists can get these data and can, based on what they get, gets, kind of get a feeling of where the company is going from an emotional perspective. And that is something that can also give value into the company making workers. You could also use that data to make, forget the product, but have happier or happy staff. People that are happier, you are giving them good benefits. It could be the fact that, I mean, just looking at, I mean, for example, I know it sounds a bit strange, just collecting data when people check in into a factory and the time and the time span and when they check out and their sex could easily tell you, you know, immediately who comes in late, you know, from women, they have to deliver, you know, put children in daycare centers and things like that. And from there, you start asking the questions, you know, the right questions. Why well, are these ladies coming in very close to, you know, end of time when things are there? 
automatically you as a company can say, okay, why not? We create a daycare center, put one in this, you know, at work. Our workers don't have to go three kilometers, 10 kilometers, drop their kids first and start off. I mean, running to work. We create a daycare for our workers, makes them happy. It's intrinsic data. It's a data you have used. It, I mean, that, that decision was driven by data. It gives you happy stuff, which is more value to your business, even though you don't produce a new, you know, fancy product coming out after some weeks. Same firm, you can see that, and I can give an example of a company that does that very, very well. SaaS Institute, I think we all know them, the software company owned by Mr. Goodnight in you know, South Carolina. It's still very, it is actually still the biggest software company that is privately owned in the world. <laughs> I mean, this is a company people go there they say the best engineers and best scientists and anthropologists go there to die because they never leave <laughs> you know because it's so because he collects this data about he's the first company in america that started giving uh both pre and postnatal care to their pregnant uh, staff to and even having nursery at work you know google and everybody learned from him but he didn't do it the way the silicon valley guys are doing it to hold you down he did it in a way for you to have that value, you know, put that value in the company. And 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 that is data that was, you know, kind of a company that is, if you tell me, company that's data-driven, not data-driven in its production, uh, sorry, in its product, but just in its ethos, the way they live, the way they breathe, is purely data-driven. Yeah. That's just to add to that, about the value, I mean, how do we measure the value? So you can actually measure that value from the well-being of the workers or the well-being of the people that work for that company. Okay, thank you very much for that, Charles. Um, Timothy, you like someone who has something to say on this? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Charles and Rosie, you're onto something. Yeah, I I really relate to it's this distinction between qualitative quantitative data. You know, quantitative. Okay, we can save amount of manual tasks, time you spend. You know, those things are quite sometimes at least quite easy to calculate and you know there is a clear cost benefit uh, in some of these um, uh, projects but of course when it comes to qualitative it's something else right and that's where you need to sort of you use the data to sort of convince someone of something and you know like start a um, childcare uh, institution in your company or anything like that um, and so, I mean, it's it's clearly, you know, it's always technical and it's also, yeah, like the gut feeling that you follow. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's just an interesting uh, topic because, yeah, we you always have to prioritize projects. And to do that, you have to convince someone, probably, uh, unless you decide for everyone. Uh, and then, yeah, so which arguments do you use, right? That's a little bit, um, that's a little bit what I had in my mind. Can I make a last comment? So um, when uh, when you were talking about it, and also Casper, you were mentioning that you were looking into uh, measuring how uh, people were actually uh, using uh, Power BI in general. Um, I think that in my experience, I meet a lot of organizations that are very good at, uh, can you say, uh, punching themselves because they have a lot of reports that are not being used and a lot of data that are not being used. And I think that goes for a lot of organizations. But, but I think that 
maybe you should start thinking about your targets. So what are you actually aiming for? So create a, create targets for your measurements and being realistic in that because you are also maturing when you are delivering data products to your organizations. Uh, the uh, consumers are maturing uh, over time. So maybe you should start with setting the baseline at a very uh, a, a realistic low level and then you when you measure you can actually benchmark towards your targets and in in there there can be a success uh, in itself so don't have to be so hard on yourself um, in, um, in in this that was just a, a, a comment to it. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Rose. So any final comments there at all? Or... Okay, great. Um, so I suppose moving on to the next question, then uh, this one was posed by Casper. So Casper, do you want to give us your question and tell us a little bit about where it came from? Yeah, so so as you probably figured by now, I'm, I'm very much into to the business. Um, how do you link data and, and business? Uh, and this is uh, in line with, with that. Um, so, so building Xpru, you know, I'm I'm not sure we're doing it necessarily in the best possible way uh, of, of translating this data we get into um, insights. And then, uh, as as uh, Timothy said, we need to convince someone, right, that this is a good product. I'm not talking about data manipulation here, but but how do we present it in the best possible way? Um, just a bit of context: the guys presenting to to commercial guys, let's say a brand manager for Casper. Then, then I'll take the, the brand name on the door. The scientist doesn't necessarily understand the commercial aspects of, of the commercial role. Um, so how do they take the scientific language that they use, um, propagation of yeast and whatnot, and translate that into, for now we have a word cloud uh, created in Power BI. Uh, how do they take that and put it into a commercial uh, setting or vocabulary? Um, I'm just wondering if you had some good insights. I know you're smart people working with data. Um, are there any tools that I should be aware of in addition to Power BI or maybe just scrap Power BI because Tableau is better? Or, uh, I'm open for everything. That's it. Yeah, I don't know if I should go first. Uh, it's not that I am supposed to, uh, to talk that much, but um, and now I will just try to uh, to uh, Put in my uh, my immediate thoughts, Casper, and then uh, please also uh, interrupt if it was not that direction that you were thinking. So what first comes into my head is um, is um, the initial work around use cases. So actually uh, actually defining together with uh, with the business or the line of businesses the specific use cases that you would like to uh, use data for. So use cases in the business uh, side, that is a tool that I find very, very uh, um, good and um, a, a great way for the, for the different businesses to actually tell in their language what they need. And then you can translate that demand into the data and the, the data you are already collecting. And then <clears throat> um, 
Another one is that um, we at Inspire we work with a with a uh, can say methodology called conceptual modeling. So what we do is that it, it reminds uh, a lot of uh, brainstorming or mind mapping. But again, we are in a user, um, user uh, a business perspective, and we map the different entities and different business uh, um, domains and uh, concepts. Like, so you have some clients, you have some sites, you have some products, and how does these different elements relate? So you really kind of like all the time being in the in the business language. And that is a great tool and a great way of visualizing the business and then map it towards your data, uh, your data element. So that was like two things like conceptual modeling and use casing. Uh, I, I, I think that's a great way of translating the, the data into to, to business insights. Thank you. I've been very busy taking notes. So I appreciate it. Cheers. It's being recorded. Remember that, Gaspar. I'm, I'm old fashioned. I'd like a notebook. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I fully agree. I think it's, um, you know, when you uh, when you prepare um, a project. Um, so what Ros is saying, you know, I mean, conceptually, what does it mean? How is it going to be used? All of these questions um, are key. Uh, to make it useful, to make it understandable for the developer and also for the business, right? Um, and I think um, on top of that, so um, I've seen, you know, this distinction between IT and business, like I'm in IT, I'm a developer, I'm in business, I'm the person who ordered this report, and they just don't know what they're doing. So, um, you know, on the other side, um, so I think it's very interesting to try and uh, remove that wall and say, you know, we are just one group of people and we are working on this project or product, whatever you would like to call it. Um, but so, you know, that sort of automatically makes you answer some questions on governance. I mean, governance can be boring, but governance can be super important, right? Who is the business user? Who is the, you know, the technical owner? Who is the data owner? I mean, it depends on how you structure it. Um, but I think just you know, it doesn't have to be um, any silos. And I think if, if you have many silos, then yeah, it will be hard to interpret the data or to, to, to you know, adjust it because people have different understandings of what a word means, what a concept means. Um, so for me, I think, yeah, if I would say one thing, I would say try to remove this uh, wall between, you know, a technical person and a business person. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Cheers. Okay, hand it over to you, Rose. If you got something else to add, I think uh, I think Charles should go first. Go ahead, Charles. Okay, good. Coming back to what you said, Caspar, is uh, just from what you said earlier. You know, I'm of course there are many ways of doing things, but you know from from your voice, you have a brand manager who's more from a business perspective, and you've got this lab who more like data scientist. And then the challenge now is how do you, when you've collected this data, played with it, it's been able to present it in the right way that fits what he wants. Yes. And I think just by that 
the way it's broken up, you could see that's what I was saying earlier before, but it's not the technicalities of getting data that's the issue these days. The biggest part is the capability of understanding data, which uh, Timofe just said. People, people think data is, uh, is, um, it's, um, is technical. No, data is business, you know, and that is why if you notice today, a lot of people who are putting the data part, data scientists part, very, very close and closer to the commercial activities. So in the instance, the, the, the uh, use case, like what Rosa was saying, is the first thing that comes in. This is what I want, you know, and that is the business driving that, not the scientist. You know, from, from, from the use case, it's just generally building, like building an agile, uh, uh, what do you call it, like a product owner perspective, you know, where people come and say, this is the value I want, this is what I want. And that is when, after he has really defined, and that's where you can interview the brand owner, you know, it could be, hypothetically, it could be he wants to put in that brand to make more leg or maybe make an inroad in somewhere, for example, Africa, you know, car space everywhere, it could be a specific thing, and he's trying to play. He has to put that, that challenge to the data scientist, and then, then you start, after that has come in about the need, then you could start by saying, okay, what do we measure, you know, you know, with him? Because the problem we have from data scientists for parties, we are the ones that do the what and the how. That shouldn't be IT. IT should do the how, how, how to get it in. But business is what, you know, they, they, they do the what, you know. And then if you can get those guys closer to you, so what do you need to measure? Because automatically their commercial minds start splitting. They don't know how they are going to get this. They don't know any ideas of it. But, you know, they start brainstorming and tell you the what, then throw that to the data scientists. The data scientists can say how. And then say, okay, how do we get this? Where do we? And by the time you present this to them, because they are the ones that are driving the process, while you are more or less supporting this process and guiding them, then they will easily be able to, I won't call it manipulate, but they will be able to kind of, um, I mean, kind of digest the data into something that they understand because it is their asset. They own it, it is their data. What you guys have done, what the technical guys have done is to use tools and being smart cookies to be able to consume data from different places. You know, you know, I could give an example. Like, like, I mean, I've worked in many places and I remember many, many years ago, I was working for um, a program that had to do with um, toilets, <laughs> cleaning toilets. And it's very funny because it is something that the EU uh, brought around you know, because of, um, you know, illness, you know, washing your hands and all that. It, it was very, it was very sublime, not, not, not something very fancy people knew about, but it was an EU project and a company in Denmark took it called Vican. If you go to your bar, you, they have this thing you call swipers. A lot of them, they use it for cleaning and they do a lot of very simple cleaning, um, I call it appliances or things to clean your bathrooms and all. And one of the things we did was to find a way of just having smileys because he wanted to measure, you know, cleaning, how clean are toilets, how often do you want people to, how often do people want people to come and clean toilets because if they do it, because it was with ESS, because then they could say if we can clean, just saving one ton a day saves them millions of crowns when you look at all the 
your service toilets, they are taken care of all over the country. So we didn't know anything about how they could interpret it. But we came up just then coming in season with us, we came up with an idea of us putting and today I see it everywhere. It's very ubiquitous, it's everywhere. The smileys. You know, you go to a bathroom, you press, how was your visit today? You press it, yes, no, yes, no, you know. And if you if you know when we started it, the amount of data that was coming out of that. And based on the time and the data we could present and then they could come with an idea and say, ah, we could see the trend that at these times, there's usually the, you know, the kind of ugly smiles. People are not happy with the way the toilet conditions are. You know, after that was after a lot of things and they could say, okay, it means that we need to put at least a cleaning service within this time because we could see it was funny, really, gentlemen and ladies, that it was actually synchronous <laughs> about when people feel their moods <laughs> and that kind of matched with what time we have to put, they have to put staffs there to make sure that at this window you have to clean. So uh, I come from a banking I mean, background and I know that when we are looking at data now, in, in the old times, we, we, we were very cocky as the technical guys, you, you know, we, we did tell us what you want. We do how we get it and, and how we can give it to you. No. Today we've changed it to tell the banking guys, those who are responsible for the channels, you know, that is your internet channel, your branch channels, your personal banker, then we work more and more with that, where they tell us what kind of, because we have many ways of getting data in, but they are the ones that kind of drive the process and we kind of assist them and support them. And also, it also helps us to know the business so that by the time maybe they are not there, we also can take in and say, well, this is how we were told and all that. So it's very important that silo should be a matrix. Take that and take down that wall. It's hard. Drag the brand manager to your scrum meetings or your team meetings. Make sure they are closer to your guys. Otherwise, you guys might be pouring so much data. Only 20% might be used, or maybe they might not even know how to use your data and the data points you send today. I think uh, I just want to add. Uh, sorry. Just a thank no. you, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. So I just I just wanted to add that um, a few years back we were talking a lot about that data scientist uh, is uh, the most sexiest job uh, type you could uh, you could get, but actually data translator is uh, and will be uh, the most sexiest job you, you can get. And there is a, a prediction that in the US they will, uh, they will uh, miss or they will uh, need uh, a lot of data translators uh, in the coming years. So, so there's a reason why, uh, why we have a role for it because it's not an easy one um, to, uh, to, to fix. And then I think that um, coming back to the capabilities, the skill around visualizing data is also key. So if you really want to create and if you really want to translate the data into real uh, insights, it's not just any visualization that goes well for your users. And Diving into the uh, the theory and the methodology around visualization is also uh, something that uh, you shouldn't underestimate uh, and something that can really create value. 
So whether you use a stack bar chart or a heat map or uh, a scatter plot, that really makes a difference uh, from your user's perspective and how easy they can actually, uh, you can say, take the value out of the, out of the data you're presenting. And that, uh, then there was a, a lot of uh, hands raising. Great. Go ahead, Casper. Do you want to respond to that one? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just uh, the last thing about how how we presented. Uh, you know, again, I'm I'm not a data background. I'm purely commercial. Uh, you know, so I don't know all the theories about what's the best way and, and how you can manipulate and what. So we have taken it as we thought it was looking the best, but maybe we need to revisit how we presented. Uh, we try to use it standardized across all experiments so that we can compare one to one. Um, but but maybe it needs to be presented uh, different uh, depending on who we are presenting to. So, so thank you for that insight. Just one little uh, addition, and uh, thanks, Rosa. I think, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, interpreting data can be really tricky, right? And I mean, especially, um, I guess all of us have seen a lot of dashboards and, you know, reports that can look ugly or can look good and make sense or not. But, uh, you know, it's also like it becomes sort of a classical thing. You take some data and you build some visualization, which is, you know, automatic and, um, you know, um it's somehow um happened like updated on itself um but what we've seen actually is that people are used to work with tables in google sheets right and they just used to see it and whenever you give it to some experienced uh, data guy and then we're like no let's build a dashboard that's much smarter you know uh it's much better it's much easier to interpret it but the fact is so many people just don't care. They just want to have a simple table with simple information. They don't need anything else. Um, and I think sometimes then it's also important to just really listen. I mean, uh, I don't know, Casper, uh, for your case specifically, um, I mean, how that data looks. Uh, but we've seen at least that, you know, just to improve the literacy on data and data quality, just people sometimes just need a table and they check, does it look fine or not? Then they correct it in the source system. Um, so, it could be, I'm, I'm just, you know, it, there are many facets of it. And I think it doesn't necessarily have to be this classic, you know, ETL and then some visualization. It can be anything, really. A data product can be so many things. If I can just, just respond to Timothy, uh, you know, I think that we get the data in a raw Excel file. Um, there's a lot of questions that our members answer um, when they give feedback on an experiment. I, I, Maybe uh, I haven't asked the brand managers. I, I should be honest, but I think they would prefer like a visual representation. But it might not look in their mind how it, how it should. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely take that into account. But I think the amount of data is is, is too much just to look at a, at a at a file and say, "Yep, I can deduct something from that." But maybe I'm underestimating people. Okay, brilliant. Um, thank you very much for that question. Casper, I think that was a great conversation. Thank you, everyone, for providing your insights into that. So, um, of course, last but by no means least, we have one more question. So, Charles, would you like to present your question and give us a bit of context of where it's kind of come from? Yes, my, my question was data integrity. I hope you can hear me. 
Um, I'm a bit concerned about, you know, we've got these points of picking data, lots and lots of database because now with microservices, every kind of every small service, when you're building big systems, have got their own database. And uh, I've been running pro primary projects where I actually find it very hard to do. I know there are lots of tools that they tell you we can do this for integrity. Uh, that I still think is something about discussion that I want to discuss. I want to know about data integrity. You know, how do we make sure that the kind of data we pick up is accurate or a change made somewhere of the latest? You know, the data have changed, but we are missing it somehow. So, I mean, in another place. Um, because, like, uh, you remember when I said that IT, the business tells us what, we say how. The way we technically, the way we get data these days, lots of ways we get data. You know, people get, you know, from um, from the insurance company, for example, the guy, your sales manager, someone selling you an insurance product can actually be asking you questions while talking to you and filling some kind of questionnaire, which is one way. And then they, on the other hand, also, they can also go to a data brokerage firm you know, when they want to get and get data on your behalf, if you allow them or if it's allowed. And then um, and they can also get data in different places to just to get a good to resist view of you. But I can see after being in this business for a while that sometimes we think we are getting the right data, but it's actually the wrong data. And 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 then that is my I know maybe Casper will help us here. You are the one having a big data lab, and of course, Timothy, some good ideas. How can we get you know a consistent integrity? Something without buying hundred thousand euro tools. You know, there are lots of tools to have this money, and you still have this problem. So that's my <laughs> so that's my challenge anyway, daily challenge I'm facing at the moment, right? Uh, thanks, Charles. I think it's a great question. I think it's it's the million dollar question, you know. I mean, data comes from all types of sources. Sometimes it's just you don't know where it comes from. You just trust it anyway for some magic reason. Um, and uh, because someone told you that it's good, but you don't know. I mean, uh, you know, some data sets have good governance, some have bad governance. I think really it's it's the tricky part here, you know, because I mean, most data is not really structured data, at least where, we, where I'm working, you know, maybe some companies are literally leveraging of like some transactional data, card transactions, or, you know, I mean, maybe if you have a super streamlined survey, Casper, then maybe it's, you know, also quite consistent over time, like what you are measuring and so on. Uh, but so many parameters change. And I mean, Rita, I have no good answer. I think it's, uh, you know, it's data literacy at least can help in that regard because, um, you know, if you if you teach people to think in a way that, ah, okay, we also need someone to maintain it. Okay, good. You know, that's, that's already something so that it's not just spinning uh, on its own in the background and updated at the frequency, but you don't know why and how and when. Um, and then, um, so yeah, just, just to assign some people but also, of course, you need some type of central governance, in my opinion, like you need to have some function in a company um, which is responsible for making sure that the data is correct. Um, and you cannot control extremely many data sets, going to be very heavy. Um, but I think allowing everyone to do a little bit what they want, I mean, 
it's nice side of the self-service thing, but it's also the terrible side because then, you know, two people come from different departments and show you two different numbers and no one knows what is the true one. Um, so I think, yeah, just, uh, just, yeah, try to somehow centralize it um, will help at least on part of the way. I think also it's a very uh, it's a very interesting question, and what what comes to my mind is definitely how do you uh, work with data quality in general in your organization? Um, and I think there is uh, no way but the hard way when it comes to data quality, both uh, what do you collect and how do you store it? How do you document the process? And also, how do you govern it? So what Timothy is talking about, the roles and the rules for data management. So I, I really believe that data quality and assessing your data quality is something that you need to do at a regular basis. Because if you, if you actually are uh, working on it, um, can you say, um, in a predictive way or in a way that you are actually doing it before you ending up with having bad data quality, then you would uh, definitely uh, yeah, uh, not spend that much money uh, fixing it uh, in, the, in the other end. So, so for me, this is very much about data quality. There is also, we talked about the role before, to me, um, also very much thinking about the role of a data steward. So the data steward typically has a role of actually uh, making sure the integrity uh, remains working from the technical side and also uh, working towards the, the business side. And the data catalog uh, is one of the key uh, tools for a, a data steward, uh, which is also in, in the documenting part, a, a very uh, initial uh, element to, uh, to have. But, but it's a it's a tough one. It's a hard one, and uh, and it's uh, it, it's really something. But but I think that if you if you do it and you do it at a regular basis, uh, you you could save some some money in the end um, and and have a, a great integrity. Thank you very much for that, Rosa. Can I ask anything to add from anyone else on this topic, Casper? Well, I'm, I'm guessing I'm thinking more, again, if I should take the point of view from Expo, it's, it's how do I keep, keep the integrity of my data? Uh, I've protected it by you can only submit feedback if you are a member. So, you know, that, that I'm sitting very close to the source uh, from there. If I'm thinking more of a of a Casper as a whole, I think we've, we've centralized it very much so that we have an insights team that sits and, and cross-checks and, and do all the uh, lines and dots, and what do you say? Um, I'm not too close to to that part of the business, so, so I probably can't comment too much on whether they're doing a good job or not. Uh, I would assume that they are, uh, <laughs> otherwise they probably wouldn't be there. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, it's an interesting topic. I mean, you yeah. know, Timothy mentioned that you just trust, you know, that the big reports that you get. I'm guilty of that for sure. Uh, you know, Global Data sends me a report, and then I'm like, yep, this the trend forecast is 100% right. Uh, and I'm doing that because of the guys and in insights would say, yeah, we trust these guys. Uh, mm. But uh, I'm not <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, it's talk.
Oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, coming back to what Rosa said about data stewardship, yeah, we we kind of my old organization, we kind of created what we call a data owner, you know, who originally because the first thing was when we created the capabilities, the first thing was to create a something that has got some stripes in it <laughs> and say you are the data owner. But but the business also had some different views. And I can give example coming from a financial services background that if I own if you own a data owner for for example um for some payment systems for some local transactions, right? Right. And then uh, and and then you give that to someone is the steward, he owns those so he, he knows the uh, the attributes of what he's looking at, you know, even defined and you know what kind of points he's looking. But then he's not then business then found that because the way the business was split, then they found out that they, they we have another data owner for cross-border transactions, that is transaction between maybe Denmark and England that are not local, but they are still the same customer, you know, and then sometimes, and then they define attributes in a different way, you know. And then when we are looking at it from a very data warehouse perspective, when I want to make a, a case for default management, like how many customers don't pay their bills on time, right? I, I, I kind of collate all these, and then this clashes, <laughs> these integrity issues and quality issues start um, happening. I mean, I mean, start happening. Sometimes the attribute might be the same, but but the quality of data, you know, that we get is kind of not complete. It's a challenge. I don't understand that. Uh, just trying to say that to you, Rosa, that what we are looking at, what you said, that advice is, of course, the right way to go. But maybe we should come closer to you guys in business to also help IT or help the technical guys that when you are making those roles for data ownership, it should also be very aligned with the process ownership or the business process. So no need of splitting a part of business and then having maybe 10 different data owners because you have 10 different I mean, business lines instead of why don't you kind of consolidate it. I'm having that challenge with business because that means we are trying to create some new, I won't call it capability, maybe a position that they are not used to and nobody in the business wants to inherit that you know, nobody wants to wear that cap because it's a huge responsibility, you know, because it means that you are actually responsible for not just the database, but, you know, the interpretation of the attributes and you'll be caught to 200 meetings when, you know, when you are being utilized to drive business processes. But anyway, thanks, Rose. I think that's the way to go. And I think um, for you coming from you, I think I'll keep on pushing on that path upstairs until someone hears me. Yeah, yeah, I I completely uh, follow you uh, in in this, um, and I think that because the answer to this is of course that you should in this role collaborate collaborate with each other, and you should also create a common data model where you agree on these uh, entities and concepts in general. And we started talking about that there are things like capabilities that are difficult in SME uh, in the SME segment. Actually, I think that this is something that is more easy in the SME segment yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're not looking at that big a corporation. So it's easier for you and you, you can distribute the knowledge and agree. 
uh, at, on fewer people than if you're looking at an enterprise uh, company. That, that, that's where, where I understand that this part can be very, very uh, difficult to, to capture and, and align and, and be, uh, and, and be uh, yeah, can you say, um, yeah, to the point all the time uh, uh, with, the, with these concepts. So, um, yeah, thank you for posting this question, Charles. Okay, great. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for sharing your insights once again. Um, so, obviously, all the questions have been uh, presented at this point. Uh, just before we end the podcast today, I'd just like to say thanks again to all our guests for sharing their incredible thoughts and insights. Um, they've been, for one more time, Rosa Ryberg, Director of Sales and Operations Strategy at Inspari, Casper Lynn, Head of Expro at Carlsberg, Charles Wagbo, Manager at Net Company, and Timothy Kapustin, BI Platform Owner at Devo Team. So, if you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Alex Robinson. You can find me on LinkedIn or email me at alex.robinson at evolution-nordics.com or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash Nordics forward slash. Thanks again to all our guests for joining us and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.